have come across the story of Alice in Wonderland. Some smiles going up. I recently watched part of it with my kids, but the old Disney version, you know, the very like simple kind of basic one. And in the book and in the movie, Alice and the Cheshire Cat have a conversation. And this is what Alice asks the cat. Would you tell me please which way I ought to go from here? To which the cat replies, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. I don't care, I don't much care where, said Alice. Well, then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. And the title for this morning's message, week one of purpose, is taken from the cat's words, where do you want to get to? To live a life without a sense of purpose is like being a ship without a rudder on an ocean, just being tossed back and forth by waves and by wind, etc. And the question about purpose that we are asking and trying to answer in this series is, where do you want to get to with your life? And maybe more specifically, where do you need to get to with your life? And if you say like Alice, well, I don't care much where I go, actually it doesn't matter which way you take which road, which, which journey, which path, etc. But I guess the fact that you're here on week one of the series tells me that you are interested in finding out a bit more about this. So let's jump in. This entire series is based on one verse in the Bible from Ephesians chapter two and verse 10. And I'm pretty sure by the end of the six weeks, we're gonna be able to quote it off by heart. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. For we are God's handiwork or his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you're taking notes, I've got three sets of three. Got three points related to this verse. Then we're gonna look at three false purposes, three black holes, if you like, and then I'm gonna end with three questions to help us process these things. So my first point from this verse in Ephesians chapter two is this. Notice who has done the initial work. It's God himself, for we are God's workmanship. When you and I begin talking and thinking about our purpose for life, the starting point is God, not us. The fact that we are God's masterpiece is amazing. I love the fact that God says we are his masterpiece, that he has good purposes for us. So the starting point isn't us and our ideas, it's what God says, which is why we're looking at the Bible. There might be some people here where you haven't yet settled your beliefs about God or the Bible. Maybe you're not sure what you believe, in the world we live in, there are competing and different worldviews of how to answer the question, what's the meaning of life? There is a, I'll give a few of them. There's an Eastern worldview, which religions like Buddhism and Hinduism would kind of fall into this category. And it sounds like this. There was a, a Buddhist priest was interviewed. His name was Takafumi Kawakami. And uh, he was asked this question, what's the meaning of life when it comes to Buddhism? And this is his answer. He says, there is no purpose in your life. The Buddhist approach is you're born, you die, 
you born, you die. Like physics, like dominoes, you knock one over and they keep falling that way. For individual human beings, there is no purpose. That's a Buddhist priest. Some would kind of rephrase that and say the purpose of life for an Eastern worldview is to try and escape this cycle of being born and dying, being born and dying, reincarnation, getting punished for what you did in your previous life, etc. That would be the purpose of trying to escape that. The next worldview is a secular worldview. So atheists would believe this, naturalists would believe this. And dare I say, anyone who holds a nominal view of Christianity, you might have been born in this country or another country, you might think, ah, oh, I'm not an atheist, I believe in something, and you would tick Christian if you were asked about your religion. You're not really devoted to following Jesus. You would probably be in this category. And the secular answer to questions about the purpose of life would be as follows. It's whatever you want it to be. The atheist writer Bertrand Russell said this, we are each to be a weary but unyielding Atlas. Remember Atlas, he was the guy from Greek mythology, carried the world on his shoulders. Remember that guy? If you're not, I didn't either. Don't worry. So this is what the atheist would say. We are each to be a weary but unyielding Atlas, carrying on our own shoulders the world of our own making. In other words, your purpose in life, the atheist would say, is whatever you want it to be. You can be the gods of your own destiny. So we have this Eastern view where there's no real purpose except to try and escape the cycle. There's the secular worldview which says, actually, do whatever you want to do. And amazingly, in contrast to this, which I'm so grateful for, the verse we just read gives the Bible worldview on what purpose is. That there is an amazing creator who made us on purpose and for a purpose, not by chance, not for us to try and figure out, but he's designed us that way. Up until the age of 22, I would have fitted into that second category, the secular worldview. Life is whatever you make it to be. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I wasn't a Christian. Although I kind of prayed, but I didn't know who I was praying to. Never went to church. I didn't even go to church on Christmas or Easter. Like that was the extent of my church. It was zero. But strangely enough, the search for purpose is a universal search. And so as a university student, I would go out clubbing and I'd drink too much and I would get home, but not be able to sleep. I'd lie awake in bed looking at the ceiling and have all these kind of what I thought were very deep philosophical thoughts. Because when you're at university, you think, you know, you think you think very deeply. Turns out everyone thinks like that way. <laughs> but at the time I felt very profound. And the thoughts were like this. Why am I on earth? Is there a God? Is there more to life than what I'm experiencing now? Is heaven and hell real? All these kind of questions, but I couldn't figure out the answer, no matter how clever I thought I was. And one Sunday evening, early in 2004, I came to a church service a bit like this in Peter Maritzburg. My friend had invited me along. And I looked around at all these Christians and they were worshiping. And some of them had their hands up. And I thought, this is strange. But as I looked at them, I thought, it looks like they believe God's real. It looks like they know God. And I was so taken by that, I, I started coming back to church. 
And that was a change in direction for me where I realized God had more in this life than just my own desires. And I'm not sure what your starting point or your worldview is this morning. Maybe it's an Eastern one. Maybe it's secular. Maybe it's biblical. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're open to the idea that there is one who loves you and who's designed you on purpose. My second point from this scripture is that God does a work in us. We are God's handiwork created. In other words, God's doing stuff inside us through Christ Jesus. That work, that word handiwork can be translated as masterpiece. And the same Greek word is the root word for the English word that we have, poetry. So we are God's poetic masterpiece is another way you could translate that. Paul's saying God has done a work in us. He's designed us as his masterpiece. If you look at one of your fingers, take it out or stop scratching the side of your face or writing. Have a look. If you could zoom in on your fingerprint, you'd see there's all kinds of lines and funny shapes and dots. You know that every one of us, 7 billion people in the world, there's not two fingerprints the same. Not even identical twins have the same fingerprint, even though they share the same DNA. Amazing, hey? There is a divine creator whose fingerprint on your soul and my soul is as unique as the fingerprint on our hand. His purpose for each one of us is as unique as the fingerprint that we have on our hands. And when we were born and we took our first breath, it's like the fingerprint of God was on our lives. And if you, like me, had a moment of putting your faith in Jesus, there's a second kind of rebirth the Bible talks about. And in a different way, God puts his hand on our life going forward. It's an amazing thing. My third point from Ephesians chapter 2 this morning is that God does a work through us. He does a work inside us, and then he does a work through us. The rest of that verse says, we are we are designed to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. If we kind of stick with this idea of poetry for a moment, that you and I are God's poetic masterpiece, He writes a work in us and then through us. In other words, we are both the paper and the pen in God's hand. And writing onto the storybook of your life is a narrative written by the hand of God. Oftentimes, we don't even realize He's at work in our lives. But then in another sense, we're also his pen. He uses us to tell a story to other people in the world. And I guess a bit like the moon reflects the light of the sun, but the moon doesn't have any light of its own. We are God's poetic masterpiece. We can reflect something of who God is that other people, when they interact with us, can catch a glimpse of this incredible creator who is God. Not because it's our design, because it's God working through me, the pen of my life, and writing on the pages of human history his story as people interact with me. Don't you love that idea that God's plan for our life is not random? It's amazing. There's a reason for it all. I have here what is called a vernier caliper. Anyone know what this is? I got it from my father-in-law this morning on the way to church. I'm not even sure I know how to use it. There you go. There you go. It moves. So imagine that this little vernier caliper was born into the workshop of a master carpenter. 
But no one ever told him what he was designed for, what good works he was made to do. He had no clue about his purpose, right? And one day he's, he's wondering, why am I in this workshop? And he says to himself, well, you know what? I look a bit like a hammer. So I'm gonna hang out with the hammers and see that's where I fit in life. And so he goes and hangs out with the hammers and he starts hammering and like it doesn't work because that's not what he's made to do. He's far too pointy, right? Both sides. And he ends up getting bent quite easily. Oh, he's sad. I'm not meant to be a hammer. What am I meant to be? He kind of says, well, on this end, I look a bit like a chisel, you know? He goes, hangs out with chisels and that doesn't work either. And eventually one day, he, well, by the, by the end of the week, let's say. <laughs> Work with me here. <laughs> by the end of the week, he's hung out with all the different tools in the workshop and realized there's no one else quite like him. He is alone. He is not, he's got nobodies, right? He doesn't know what to do. And one day the master craftsman comes down into the workshop and tells him, little Vernier Caliper, you are a, device of very precise, very fine measurement. And uh, these two things here are for measuring the inside of a pipe. And this thing at the end, when you move it, you can measure the depth of something. Much finer measurement than a tape measure. You're not as strong as a hammer. You're not designed to be a chisel, but, but you are for very precise micro measurement. There's no other tool like you in the workshop. I need you. Don't be a hammer. Don't be a chisel, but you're not designed in isolation because you need a hammer to build things, you need a chisel to take things away. The master craftsman designed a whole suite of instruments and implements in a community to all do a task. Not one thing can do all the tasks, but it needed to know its purpose. You might have some idea of your shape. Maybe you wrongly think you're a hammer or a chisel. You might have some kind of idea. What we're trying to get to in this series is, Lord, help us from the master designer, God who made us, figure out more precisely what we're made to do. And I guess just like every good thing, there are lots of false alternatives, right? If you imagine life living life without a purpose. Think of a planet that is kind of, I don't suppose they wobble, but imagine a planet could wobble <laughs> through space until it finds a sun, S-U-N, a star, to orbit around. And then it becomes stable because it's orbiting around a sun, yeah? Every planet orbits around the star, in our case we call it the sun, but it's a star, that is next to it. And when a, when a star goes bad, when it implodes, becomes a black hole. And when that happens, these stars, they collapse in on themselves. For anyone who studied physics, they become super dense, ultra small. And the, the gravity that, the gravitational force, force that comes from them is so strong that not even light can escape a black hole. And what can happen in our lives, people can orbit their lives around a black hole, a false purpose. That's not what God intends, but is a false purpose. And the end is ultimately disaster for our true purpose. And so I wanna look at this morning, three different black holes. There are lots of others, 
but three black holes that we need to avoid, three false purposes that are bad for us. Black hole number one to avoid is this one, me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. Western culture in the past few decades, I guess more than any other culture in history, has answered this question about purpose in the lamest possible way. Like it's tremendously lame. Live for yourself, your fame, your success, your unhindered autonomy, your independence, your own pleasure. Live for yourself. Thanks, Western culture. And this, it's, it's a hyper-individualistic movement. It's kind of side-swiped the whole generation who don't know their purpose. We have more access to technology and social media than any other time in history. And into the middle of this Western culture that's all about me, myself, and I, Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live, that's you and me, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. In his best-selling book called The Purpose Driven Life, author Rick Warren, his opening sentence on chapter one of page one is this, it's not about you. If you're a parent, like me, we're trying to raise our kids to avoid this black hole. We're trying to teach them that there's more to, li- more to life than just their own desires and needs and wants and joy and happiness. We're trying to get them to avoid this big hole and to think beyond themselves that there's more to life. You know, the average 20-year-old in one month will post more pictures of themselves online than Augustus Caesar did. Obviously, there was no online back then. <laughs> But if you look at all the images he made of himself, in his entire lifetime, a 20-year-old will post more pictures online in one month than Augustus Caesar did in his entire reign as a Roman emperor. That's the self-preoccupied culture that we live in. And it's a black hole, and we must avoid it. D.L. Moody said this, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Yo, our greatest fear should not be of failing at something, but at succeeding at something that's not God's first prize for us, something that doesn't really matter. Black hole number two to avoid is the black hole of material things. These consume our lives. We spend years educating ourselves that we can get a good job, so that we can spend decades working to get more money, so we can have more stuff and upgrade our car and extend our house and go on fancier holidays and all that stuff, the rat race that we live in, especially evident in Johannesburg. And somehow, as we're orbiting this black hole, we get sucked into the lie that our self-worth is determined by our net worth. And it's a lie at the center of this black hole. You know, when people are on their deathbed, when they have those last thoughts or words, you know that none of them are about, oh, 
I wish I'd bought more stuff. <laughs> wish I'd upgraded my car more often. No, when time runs out, life and the things that matter come into sharp focus very quickly. And most people will talk about, ah, oh, relationships. I wish I'd spent more time with my family. Wish I had more time with them and did more stuff with them. Wish I'd left a better legacy, purpose, meaning. Those are the things that come into focus. J.D. Rockefeller was, and still is, considered one of the wealthiest Americans who ever lived. He's been dead for over 100 years. But after he died, someone asked his accountant, how much money did he leave behind for his family? And the accountant said, all of it. In other words, you and I can't take anything with us off this earth when we die. We can take nothing with us. And if that's true, then the purpose of chasing off the money and stuff is a black hole. It's gonna end in misery. Why? Because we, we can't take it with us. We're gonna leave it all behind. Not one cent is coming with us when we leave. Jesus put it like this in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kind of coveting, all kinds of wanting more stuff. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Those words are still true 2,000 years later, hey? Black hole number three to avoid is the approval of others. The approval of others. Every one of us needs encouragement, needs affirmation, needs recognition, needs approval from significant people in our lives. When we are small children, it's primarily our parents and our teachers. But as we grow up, we still need that approval. We still need that recognition, that kind of encouragement or affirmation. But the moment that this becomes our life purpose and we chase after it, we go down a dark tunnel, the end of which is only misery. There was a guy who's French, and so I'm gonna say his name with a French accent, but if you read it in English, you might laugh. So I'm gonna give a pause afterwards so that you can laugh and then we can read his serious quotes. Alain de Bottom, which if you put up the quote, you'll see his name at the bottom. Alan de Bottom, <laughs> unfortunate name. He wrote a book about status anxiety. You know your Facebook status. He wrote a book about status anxiety, and this is a quote from the book. The approval of others matter to us because we are afflicted by an uncertainty as to our own value. As a result, we tend to allow others' appraisal to play a determining role in how we see ourselves. Our sense of identity is held captive by the judgments of those that we live among. And friends, when you and I don't understand the intrinsic value that we have as a child of God, because He made us, He designed us, His thumbprint is on our lives. We start looking to what other people say for our value, our worth, and our purpose. And it's a lie, and it's a black hole that we have to avoid. The problem with that, this black hole, is that our lives are controlled and dictated by other people's opinions. And what they say, that, what they say is more important than what God says. And we live for the approval of other people. We can't spend our time trying to make other people happy. If you've ever tried, you know it's wearisome. 
Galatians 1 verse 10, Paul says this, am I not trying to win the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please people? Or am I trying to, if I'm still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Those three black holes, me, myself, and I, material things, the approval of others, contrast those to the verse that we read in the beginning, that we are God's workmanship. We created in His image, on purpose, for a purpose. We're His, for good works that He's planned for us to do. Friends, there is a sun, S-O-N, that we can orbit our lives around that is the right purpose for our lives. So as we're ending, three questions that we're trying to answer in this series, the next five weeks. Firstly, what is God's purpose for all his children? What is God's general purpose for all mankind? We believe that if you read the Bible, you will find that there are some things that God says all his people should be doing. And if you're a Christ follower, then you should be doing these. We've condensed them to five Big ideas all starting with the letter C. Christ, Christ-like, the common good, community, and the Great Commission. And we're gonna, over the next five Sundays, get into each one of those, the Sunday messages. And if you're here and you have no clue why God made you or why you're on planet Earth, by the end of the series, you'll have at least five that all of us should be doing. Those Sunday messages, they're unique. Try and get to each one because they're different from each other one. The second question that we're trying to answer is what is God's purpose for me personally? The first question is what is God's general plan for all mankind? But then focusing on, on me, specifically God, what have you made Glendon for or Ethan for or Andrew for, etc.? Like the vernier caliper, what shape and what am I supposed to do, God? Please help me. How are we going to go about that is during the life group meetings, okay? So in the life group meetings, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, there's one that meets here in church on a Wednesday night. There's one in our home on a Tuesday night in Modderfontein. There's one here on Wednesday night in Eden Glen. There's one on Zoom on Wednesday night. There's one in Orange Grove on a Wednesday night. Tuesday night, sorry, out in Orange Grove. There's a short video that we're gonna watch different to this morning's message. It's like a primer, it's a discussion starter where we are gonna try and discover specifically, God, what are those specific things that you've made me for? And so if you only come on a Sunday and you only do the workbooks, you're gonna miss out a whole chunk on your specific purpose. And so if you're not in a life group, please, please, please sign up at the back. There's a clipboard. Find one location-wise or night-wise that works for you. Otherwise, you're gonna miss out on the specifics of why God made you. There's an amazing verse about King David in the book of Acts. It says this, Acts 13, 36. Now, when David had served the purposes of God in his own generation, he fell asleep or he died. I don't think there's any better inscription for my tombstone. Glendon fulfilled the plan of God for his life, dot, and he died. Whether that's 
five years' time or 50 years' time, I don't care. I want to end my life and get to heaven. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. But we have to discover what that is first. And that's why we're doing this six weeks, yeah? My last question this morning is a practical one. How do I fulfill God's purpose? It's great to know what it is, but how do I actually action it? How do I get it going each day of the week? The 36-day devotions that we're going to read starting tomorrow morning, and don't jump ahead, hey, like you guys, you are, you know, those clever kids in the class. Just one a day, elbowing Monday, did you see yeah. There are six for each week. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, take the day off, come to church. Okay? So there's six a week for six weeks. Six times six is 36 for those who don't know maths that well. It's my pleasure. <laughs> the 36 devotional chapters are designed to help us think about practically how do I work this thing out and walk it out in my life? So that's how we're going about this series. Three different angles. Sunday message, life group, getting into the discussion and the specifics, devotions, we think about it alone and figure out what God wants us to do. So I asked this question at the beginning of, of the meeting, where do you want to go? For some of you, you might not have a clue. But for most of us, I think we'd answer, I don't know fully where I'm exactly supposed to go. And the aim of this series is to get a bit of clarity on the bullseye of where God wants us to aim our lives. Try and imagine with me, and I'm pretty sure it's impossible, <laughs> the day of your birth. Can anyone remember, has a memory of the day that you're born? Not the photograph that was taken or the story your mom told, pretty much sure we none of us remember, right? So for me, I was born in East London on the 18th of January, 1982, Frey Hospital, government hospital back then. And I don't remember anything, right? But there was a moment where I took my first breath and all of us did take our first breath. At some point in the future, all of us are gonna die. We're gonna take our last breath at some point, hopefully many decades to come. And what we're trying to answer is, Lord, what's meant to happen? The bit in between, <laughs> the first breath and the last breath, that we might not know exactly what's happening. I'm pretty sure if you're like me, your aim in life is not just to be an oxygen thief and go from black hole to black hole, whichever thing pulls me on that day. We know that deep down inside, we know we're made on purpose for a purpose. And as Deal Moody said, our greatest fear should not be failing, but at succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Can we stand together? I want to close in prayer as we're ending. And I want to pray two different prayers this morning. I want to pray for anyone here where you might not have put your faith in Jesus Christ. You might not have had a moment where you've crossed that line into believing God is my creator Time to come home. Maybe you've been orbiting around black holes your whole life. I don't know. Maybe you had a different worldview, however you grew up. But I wanna pray for you this morning. And then I also wanna pray for all of us to pray for help. Lord, help us 
please speak to us, please show us what you've made us to do. Because the most fulfilling thing on earth is to know God, to know what He's called me to do, and then to do those things. It's the most fulfilling thing we can do. So let's close our eyes as we pray. If you're here this morning and you, you feel like you've been orbiting black holes, the purpose of your life has been, actually you don't know, or you're trying to figure it out. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're wondering and you're far from God. This morning you wanna come home to the creator of your soul. I'd love to pray for you first. Just while all of our eyes are closed, if that's you this morning, I'd love you just to raise your hand quickly wherever you are, just so I can see who I'm praying with. Anyone like that? Thank you. Anyone like that? Anyone else that you'd like to get your life right with God? Great, right at the back. Thank you, sir. That's amazing. I'm gonna say a short prayer and those two guys who put their hand up, echo this prayer in your heart. And the prayer doesn't save you. God himself brings new life into your soul this morning. And, and pray this prayer with faith. Father, thank you that you are a good God, that you've created me on purpose and for a purpose. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross and took away my sin and my shame. That you were punished instead of me being punished for the things that I did wrong. Thank you, Jesus, that I've put, if I put my faith in you, I can receive this free gift of new life, of new birth, of salvation today. And I choose to do that, Lord. I choose to receive this salvation. I give you my life. Jesus, would you fill me with your spirit and make me a new creation. Help me to follow you all my days and to know the purpose that you've made me for. Amen. And for all of us, Lord God, I pray this morning with deep conviction and a deep desire that we would know each week increasingly why you've made us, why you've put us on planet earth, what you've made us to do. And I, I pray, Father, would it be so clear to us on this journey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. It's the start of an exciting series. I hope we see you next week. Hope we'll see you.